0: The following is a Pro Football Network podcast. The primary voice for pro football at profootballnetwork.com.
1: It is really surprising. In fact, I think in my case, I think it's unprecedented that a coach would not return with the team.
2: And then... Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad you said that, and I'm so glad it came from you, because...
0: Welcome to More Than Football, a Trey Wingo podcast for Pro Football Network. I am your host, Brett Yarrison. With me, as always, from some beautiful, exotic location that I am never invited to, the one, the only, Trey Wingo. Trey, what's up, man?
2: Uh, Brett, a couple of things. Always good to be in an exotic, wonderful location that you're not at. So, yeah, absolutely. Great to be
0: here. Yeah, I think, I think you only agreed to do the show with me because we wouldn't be in the same location at anytime so very good uh trey i love this podcast you know i love to do it every week with you because we always get to do some really cool stuff and talk a little bit about the things that are going on off the field not necessarily the x's and o's and we get to bring in some really cool people to do that and today trey our special guest inadvertently is one of the reasons pro football network exists and when we bring him in go on tell you that story because it is none other than the one the only mike Tannenbaum, let's get Mike Tannenbaum into the studio, please. Oh, what's up, Mike? How you doing, gentlemen?
2: Good evening. Uh, you, I, you know, real quick story. I know he's the reason for Pro Football Network, but Mike Tannenbaum and I have are hiking buddies uh, from back. Is that in right? Way. So we, we
0: we go way back. Wow, how many hikes have you guys done together? A lot.
2: So yeah, now Trace hiking buddies with my <laughs> kids. He's uh,
1: an inspiring figure to all generations of Tannenbaums.
0: Wow. Nice. Nice. NFL owners meetings in Arizona. Mike, I'm burying the lead here because I said at the open here that uh, you inadvertently are one of the reasons that Pro Football Network exists. And I want to tell that story real quick, because back when you were the executive VP uh, for the Miami Dolphins, one of the big signings that you brought in was in Dominican Sioux. And when that signing, uh, right before that signing took place, our CEO, our chief executive officer here at PFN, Matthew Cannata, uh actually uh, broke that story to Twitter. And that's how I learned who Matthew Kanata was, was because he broke that Indomitian Sioux was going to sign with the Dolphins. Him and I linked up. And here we are at Pro Football Network, all because you brought in Indomitian Sioux to Miami. So inadvertently, thank you for Pro Football Network.
1: There we go. Glad I could be part of Pro Football Network
0: lore. There it is, or you're the one to blame. <laughs> well, we'll see how that goes. There's still time to to go one way or the other. One of the greatest things that uh, I think uh, is great for us to talk about is your experience as a general manager and as an executive VP or general manager with the Jets. Uh, executive VP and general manager with the Miami Dolphins. And there's a lot of stuff going on you know, this season, uh, especially in the world of coaching. Um, most recently, the Urban Meyer story has sort of engulfed us this week. And we don't have to get anything personal or talk about Urban Specific. But what I'm interested in, Mike, is what happens when a coach creates a crisis for the general manager, what does the general manager and the executive VP sort of have to do to help manage that, whether for the team, for the business side, how does that work?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Great to be with you guys. You know, a couple of thoughts. First of all, as it relates to urban, the part of the story that I think is maybe most compelling from a football standpoint is just taking you guys behind the curtain is there's a rhythm and an ethos to the uh, sort of of the week. And after the game is played for 24 hours, you're doing an autopsy, good or bad. Here's what went well. These matchups uh et cetera, expectations. These matchups we struggled with. And really more fundamentally, it's the injuries and the roster next week. And I'll give you guys a great example. If you look at um, what happened in Tampa, right? Sean Murphy-Bunding. Now Carlton Davis gets hurt. Like, they've been decimated in their secondary. They went out, they signed Richard Sherman, who started in the Game of the Century a week ago. And from the time the game ends... Until the next day, injuries present themselves differently because of adrenaline, because of having tape or whatever yeah. on. And yep. I have no problem with the three-day weekend. They had, you know, a short week. They're going to London. There's a lot of things going on with the organization over the course of the season. It is really surprising. In fact, I think in my case, I think it's unprecedented that a coach would not return with the team. And then, you know, thank, Bart, you.
2: He- thank you, thank you thank you i'm so glad you said that and i'm so glad it came from you because look the, the video is the video and i don't care because i'm not in that relationship i don't care one i own i cannot think of one time mike one time where a coach has said y'all go on i'm a hangout for a while that to me is the unforgivable part of all of this totally agree
1: trey one thousand percent one thousand percent and now to move the story forward and to answer your question brett what i would say is if you're Trent Bulky, first of all, it's a little different there. Let's just be candid. Like Urban's head coach, GM, chief bar wash off. I mean, he's everything there. So it's him and the owner. Yeah. And let's face it. The owner is like in a tough position because he's all in on Urban and Urban has spent all the goodwill he has, all his equity. And I think the hardest part for him is he's going to use words like, hey, we're all in. You got to own it. I want, you know, guys that are when I get better They're you know, all those cliches and it's hard, you know, players, they're grown men and they're not dumb. And they're they're like, well, wait a second. Like you didn't fly back with us. Like how all in are you? And again, like no
2: problem with the three day weekend, but as Trey said, Brett, like it's inexcusable that he wasn't with the team. The only other time I can think of on any level, Mike, when that happened was at UConn when Randy Edsel was the UConn head coach and they played in a BCS bowl game. And he didn't fly back with him because he was going to Oklahoma to take the Sooners job. So the only other time I can think of where something happened, the guy was leaving. Like he was out the door. Uh, And and to me, he used up more goodwill and problems this summer. I wrote about it uh, on my Bolton page, TreyWingo.Bolton.com. He hired Chris Doyle, which was just an incredibly unthought-out thing to do, considering how he was let go at Iowa. And then he didn't just bring in Tim Tebow. He signed into a contract. Now, if you want to give a guy a tryout and see what he has, that's cool. But what made you think that signing a guy who hadn't played a snap in the NFL since 2015 preseason as a quarterback is now going to get a contract, a full contract, at 33 years old, playing a position he's never played before? These are the things that I was wary about heading into the season. And everything that I've been worried about has been validated by everything that they've done.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And again, like it just looks at like a lack of check and balances. Like if you want to bring Tim Tebow in, bring him in as a coaching intern. You want to try to help Chris Doyle, like, you know, repair his reputation and learn from his mistakes, bring him in for a weekend or a consultant, see how that goes. But to do the things that he did, it just seems to me like he just doesn't, he's not aware of his circumstances and the whole idea 100%. that he would not go back with the team, to me, is like, we all make mistakes. and I'm not trying to kill him for that one thing, but it's just shocking that no one said to him, like, hey, coach, like, you want to fly from Jacksonville back up to Cincinnati? Great, go knock it out of the park, but, like, you're getting on this plane. Like, I'm just surprised somebody didn't yeah. say, like, well, wait a second. Like, it could have been Joe Cullen. It could have been Brian Shime. Or someone should have said, hey, coach, like you got to come with us. Well, those listen, are guys Mike the...
2: and, and Brett, and, and just real yeah. quickly, Brett. I mean, yeah. that's because he doesn't understand how different it is to be a coach of men as opposed to a, 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 uh, a king of kids, okay? This is why so many college coaches fail. These yeah. things that we're talking about, he didn't understand that it's not what he thought about Chris Doyle. It's what his players would think about Chris Doyle. Yeah. Not what he thought about Tim Tebow, what his locker room, would have thought about Tim Debo. Not what he thought was okay to stay behind, what his players would have thought about staying behind. It's a different deal. Look, being a college coach and being an NFL coach is the same in the way that a tofu burger and an Angus burger are the same. They're technically the same sandwich, but they could not be more different. And he has not figured that out yet.
0: Well, I want to I want to, you know, Trey, I talk about this with you all the time. You, you know, and both of you know my, my background in in behavior science. I am uh it, I'm always talking about environment, right? And the college environment, while the game is the same, it's a football, it's between the hashes, all these different things. Uh, the environment in the NFL is completely different, requires different behaviors, and he just hasn't learned how to behave the correct way in this NFL environment. But I want to go back, Mike, to the importance of riding back on the plane because I don't think the common fan realizes it's how huge. important that is. I've seen people comment on Twitter and say, um, what was he going to do? He was going to chaperone them back to their rooms or back to their houses. Why is it such a big it's deal? It's not the point. Can you Can you explain, especially following a loss, Why the head coach needs, from your perspective as also an executive leader in in an organization, why the head coach needs to be on that plane. Yeah, there's a million reasons,
1: both tangible and intangible. Let's start with the tangible. Like very specifically, you land, it's a very short night after an away game. You're in by 9 a.m. at the latest, watching tape, reviewing every player on every play. Then you're sitting down, you're having a staff meeting, all your coaches, personnel department, going over the game giving summaries of, like again, what went well, what didn't, and then most importantly, your trainers in there saying, hey, you know, like, LaVista Chanel, I'm making this up, he's out next week, and so yeah. is two other receivers. Yeah. Then you look at your practice squad and say, alright, can we elevate any of these practice squad receivers to play in the game next week? No, they're not ready, they're too young, whatever. Alright, who's the best receivers out there on the street that we could go get? That's like right. the exact discussion of what happened in Tampa why Richard Sherman was signed. And Every moment is critical. you got to get these guys in, and then there's COVID protocols. Like, the clock is ticking for the next week. And then more fundamentally, though, Brett, like, from an intangible standpoint, like, you're the leader. Like, you are the beef, not the bun. You are the main guy. You're supposed to be the beef. Yeah. And you have to show, like, there's nothing more important than the health and safety and well-being of your players and that you're all in and giving them the best chance to win each and every week. And there's a time and place to take off. I'm sure there's been tons of time over the years that Coach Belichick snuck out to you Nantucket know, for a night or two, but no one ever questioned his commitment or not leaving the building
2: knowing that the hay is in the barn. And listen, I, that's an important thing because we're all kidding ourselves if we don't understand that this is colored by the fact that they're 0-4. Okay, if they're 4-0 and this happens, ah, well, he stayed behind, but they're not okay you're not you're you are as as mike Tannebaum knows better than anybody from being around bill parcells you are what your record says you are they're a crappy football team if if he did this at 4-0 it'd be like well that was weird but okay it's working whatever but it isn't working like it isn't working on any level i can't tell you i can't share with you some of the texts i've gotten from people that are around the team and in the locker room about how dysfunctional they think it is so everything is magnified by the fact there's only one job in the nfl one it's to win nothing else matters nothing else matters like nick saban another college coach who's brilliant and did not work out in the nfl you know he once held the press conference mike you probably remember this when he said after a game or a practice i don't care whether we win or lose i just want to get it right and we were like what did you just say and Harvey Green, his PR guy at the time, had to call us when we were working on NFL Live and get Nick on the phone to explain to us. I'm like, I get what you're going at. You want to set a program, but you can't say wins and losses don't matter. You know, like much like Urban can't say publicly, wow, it's like everybody's Alabama in the leap. No leap, okay? You, you, you gotta coach. Everybody has players. You need to coach. Like, that's another one. The fact that he would think it was funny to say that is like, no, the joke's on you, bro. How did you not know that going into this job?
0: And it's more than just the 0-4 traits, everything that you and Mike said at the beginning too. It's 0-4 after an off-season of mistakes and gaffes and and things that were obvious he shouldn't do. There's just been, almost from the moment he was hired, just this pattern of not quite getting it. And Mike, that's why I'm, I'm super fascinated from your perspective, having been, and like you said, in, in, in Jacksonville, Urban is the top dog, right? But you've been that top dog in an organization Um, And I just, I wonder how when a coach, the leader of the locker room, so to speak, creates this crisis, not a player, not a player who's caught with weed in his car or getting a speeding ticket for doing 150, but the head coach is creating this public relations crisis. What that does to the general manager and the EVP, even if the general manager is under the head coach in the pecking order. I still feel I would still think and, and please confirm if you can that there is some type of angst that's driven where you feel now you have to take on that role to help patch things. up. Yeah, of
1: course. I mean, you can't really like Brett, you're dealing with that every day. Like, you know, Coach Parcells always used to say the mindset in any of these jobs is like five bad unexpected things are going to happen every day. So any day that five bad unexpected things do happen, it's a good day when it comes from, you know, a position of leadership. Yeah, it, it, it's it takes a massive amount of energy you know like that expression like you know someone that's an energy vampire and that's when you have to get into a room with the owner with the head coach and just say hey here's where we are we gotta figure this out we gotta in my case you know new york miami bigger media markets it was always you know times 10 whatever it was you know drafting Larry tunsell and trying to explain that that's not exactly what you asked rex ryan very very well documented what he went through and you sit there and you just try to work very hard and communicate again above or below or to the side and, and you know and that i think was one of the things and i think trey kind of hit on it about going from being the king of columbus to trying to lead grown men which is and i'm not trying to kill urban here but even the way he tried to rectify things afterwards there was a sense of like he was a little tone deaf like it was a little bit of like he gave the impression that he was beyond reproach.
2: Where when he stopped, right. yeah. Well, I mean, look, his his situation in Ohio State also ended poorly uh, with a situation where he would not take full ownership of something that happened under his tutelage there. So again, I'm not, I, I don't advocate for anybody getting fired. I don't do that. I don't scream, this guy's got to go, this guy's got to go, or anything like that. All I'm saying is, uh, I'm I'm if I'm Shot Khan, I'm wondering what I've gotten myself into.
0: Yeah. I want to, Mike, I want to transition real quick, but before I do get to the second topic, you brought up Laramie Tunsil, and I remember, because, and, and I've shared this with you in, in our, you know, various conversations that we've had, that I grew up, not anymore, but I grew up a Miami Dolphins fan, and I remember that draft, and I remember, like, the shock of getting what I at least believed was the best player in that draft falling to, to you guys at 13, was that... Public relations atmosphere maybe the most difficult to manage in the social media era of your career.
1: Uh, no, I, I felt like it was like an opportunity. You know, like here was a great player. He was a really, really good person who had made a mistake. He had a great story to tell, and we just had to keep telling it. And we had a good left tackle in Brandon Albert. It was an opportunity to get a, 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 a really, really good player, and you know that turned out to be a great decision. And good people make mistakes, and you know, for us, it was an opportunity that he fell us.
0: Now, I want to I transition because there's, there's something else going on this week, but it's really po- kind of been going on all season. Trey and I have talked about it a few times. We talked about it in the, in the preseason when the rookie quarterbacks were playing, and it was getting kind of obvious for a couple teams, maybe Chicago, maybe Jacksonville, that the rookie quarterbacks they drafted were going to see the field sooner rather than later. And – Matt Nagy sort of has taken his time in getting to what he eventually announced this week, that Justin Fields is going to be the starter moving forward. And it was just a couple days ago where he said that Andy Dalton's the guy when he comes back. And then a few days later... Well, hold on. Before you
2: go any further, before you go any further, Mike, what does that tell you? Like, to me, it's so devoid of leadership. Like, take a stand. Okay. You know. But but what does it tell you? Like, to me, that tells me this wasn't maybe Matt Nagy's decision. Like, if he says on Monday right? If he says on Monday, hey, Andy's our guy, and then two days later, uh, Justin Fields is starting quarterback going forward, that tells me that maybe Matt Nagy wasn't the one making that decision.
1: Yeah, I don't, you know, it's interesting you said I think that's certainly a factor, but I think it's more fundamental than that. I think it's been so obvious for so long. I think he came in with a very dogmatic approach that I came from Kansas City, we had Alex Smith, Mahomes sat all but one game, his rookie year, the rest is history. I think he was Trying to copy and paste that
2: same sort of plan, and that you know, Andy Dalton. Is but that's right. problematic. That's problematic because Andy Dalton isn't Alex Smith. Hundred percent. Totally agree.
0: Well, and I want to. I want to touch on the idea that maybe it wasn't his decision. We're not saying definitively it is or it wasn't, right? I'm not. I'm not even going to the specific situation. But what I want to know is, Mike, and and you guys know, I I've worked with players. I've worked with players that feel like they should be on the field, but they're not on the field. And the GM is, you know, is the one that has been doing the talking to them, but the coach isn't putting them on as an, as a general manager who drafted a player that you expected to get on the field sooner rather than later. And he's not, it's four or five weeks in, you expect him to be on the field and he's not Mike. What happens? What's the communication like with the coach and the general manager talking about what do we need to do to get this player on the field? And ultimately is there sort of the nudge, nudge, push, push, shove over, get my guy on the field conversation.
1: Yeah, I think it's so much different for a quarterback and non-quarterback. Like, I'll tell you, Rex, I give him all the credit in the world. When we drafted Mark Sanchez from day one, practice one, it was Mark Sanchez. Never looked back. He went 3-0 out of the gates so and we went to the championship game his rookie year. But you could also put a package together for Trey Lance, Justin Fields, where you say, hey, like, here's like 15 plays that we could really attack the defense. And by the way, like, that's a problem for their preparation you know, just in terms of, you know, they're preparing for Andy Dalton, let's say, and he could come in, own a package, and put pressure on defense. And other way is make it competition. Like, make your practices competitive. Let the best player play. But ultimately, guys, the locker room is going to be the check and balance. And to go back to Trey's point about, hey, on Monday, you know, Matt Nagy said X, and then on Wednesday it changed. But candidly, Trey, it could have been somebody else. It could have been the eight captains that came in and said, like, are you watching what we're yeah. watching like we want to win like correct like yeah. so you just sometimes you know coaches again i just feel like he was so dogmatic in what he wanted to do i think it hurt he just couldn't see the facts in front of him
0: so does it does it take an experienced gm or an experienced leader to like like ryan pace was there prior to to naggy and, and so on does it take someone to be able to go into his office and you said maybe it's the captains on the team and they, and they say hey coach this is what we're seeing, and and the GM is saying, "I drafted this guy; he's killing it in practice." The, the guy you want to play is not doing it. Have you had conversations like that, and and or or if you have it, have you wanted to? Has those has those situations come up?
1: Sure. I mean, we used to have a sign in our draft room. You know, in God we trust, for everybody else, we need data, and it could be the draft. <laughs> I like it that. could be like who the quarterback. <laughs> hey Matt, you want to play Dalton? I want to play this guy, and we're not leaving this room until we watch every snap. We're going to watch this offensive line and then collectively we're going to say with this offensive line and this skill player, these two players and their skills, who gives us the best chance to win. And we're going to watch fricking Justin Fields at Georgia. I don't care. We'll go back to Andy Dalton at TCU, but we are not going to leave here until we look at all the data. And this is going to be a data driven decision, which is watching the tape, talking to everybody. And I'm really confident coach. When we do that process and by the way, that we're two to 3,000 calories away from making that decision because we're ordering pizza. If I was with wreck, it's an emergency venti mocha frappuccino because every time I wanted to do something, <laughs> end, right? I got him a venti mocha frappuccino, won him over every time, and just say, like, hey. <laughs> time yeah, for a snack. Yeah, exactly. In all seriousness, though, like, we have a disagreement. We're not leaving here until we watch the tape, and then we're going to make a decision based on the facts
0: fascinating and so so food was an effective bribe tool for for, for rex or for this for this this hosting.
2: can't this can't be news to you like I, this cannot be news to you i got okay? i gotta tell you man like i i, I put I, it out there on hard knocks let's go get a bleepity bleeping snack i mean food
0: food yeah, i get i wasn't expecting it to be a mocha frappa whatever from starbucks to be the thing that's like all right yeah we'll we'll go with that then
2: it worked every time rex is 100 percent that guy Rex is a hundred percent that guy. I love that.
0: I love that. Um, okay, Mike. Uh, and, and lastly, before we let you go on again, thank you so much for being gracious with your time with us. I'm just trying to get a, an
1: invite to chat and bars in. That's the only reason I'm doing this interview.
0: You and me both, my friend. You and you're me good. This is the second time I've had to look at you, this background. You're good. Right. Second time. You're Let's good,
2: go. Mike. You're good.
0: Okay. Um, Mike, uh, you are the co-founder and uh, creator of like this great, I'm gonna call it a summit of masterminds, a summit of experience, just uh, centuries, I think, worth of experience. Um, something called the 33rd Team, something you you've created, and that I've been, as you know, uh, following along closely and seeing what you guys are up to and, and and the stuff that you're putting out, which I think is is brilliant. Talk, um, if you would help me understand. Um, what is it that you're trying to accomplish with the 3013? How do you like that? Intro? By the way, Mike,
2: real quickly, like that? just so you know what happened there. I have been <laughs> riding Brett mercilessly because he always says, talk about. And I say, that's not a question. If you want to ask somebody a question, ask a question. And he almost said it. He said, Talk about it. Like, How do you? So what he was trying to do was not <laughs> do the thing that I told him not to do and ask you a question. And he got there. So i'm proud of my guy there you
0: go thank you thank and, and you i'm remember.
1: proud of the fact that trey has been a contributor to the 3013 basically it's a combination of rocket smart i mean brilliant yeah students that do a lot of the legwork research with a combination of 512 years of experience of gms and head coaches between opportunities from joe banner bill Polian, wade phillips doug peterson phillips. We, we counted 512 years of experience proudly we've placed eight students in the NFL we put out a completely free newsletter you go to 3013.com and it's just people that love football and want to stay current and we just talk about the issues of the week we'll talk about hey coach how would you handle an unvaccinated player or any of the issues that come up we marry our discussion to what's going on in the league and it's been a very fulfilling endeavor because I continue to learn
2: I want to get better and love helping others get to where they want to go and, and let me just say i've been i've sat in on a bunch of those calls and it's like it's literally a a, a murderer's row if you will of of legendary nfl uh, coaches and insiders um i i've just enjoyed like I've, I've like you said i've done some stuff but i've i've just enjoyed listening to what everyone else has to say on there it, it's it's really great so please go check it out you can follow them on twitter too the 33rd team uh, it's a it's worth your time and the information is great
0: so mike is the is the focus about keeping everybody's mind sharp for when the eventual opportunity to get introduced to the league or get back in the league comes about. And in the process, you guys are also sharing that wealth of knowledge with the audience. Yeah,
1: and and Peter King did a feature on this. Like when we are at our best, like Dan Quinn's a great example. So Dan gets let go by the Falcons. We all know that. He goes to Hawaii to try to like think about things, look at ways to get better. He has two of our interns work intimately with him in terms of self-scouting, doing other reports. Dan obviously is now No surprise, you know, doing great as Dallas defensive coordinator. If and when Dan becomes a head coach, again, there's no doubt. There's a couple of young guys that now have a relationship with him. So it's great for them. They're getting great experience and maybe a leg in for an opportunity down the road. Dan, who's unaffiliated with a team where you lose all the support system, has, again, world-class people to help do a lot of the legwork on these research projects. And then on this weekly call, Brett, we, we really, you know, we had a special teams coach this past week break down that fake punt that happened, you know, mm-hmm. Monday night when, uh, you know, in the Raider-Charger uh, game, you know, there was a fake punt in the middle of the game and how that happened and turns out the Raiders only had 10 guys on the field and it was sort of like an automatic call, which was really interesting. So we just try to break down, you know, sort of plays, you know, a rookie quarterback's gonna start, we may have Doug Peterson say, hey, well, here's how I coached, you know, Carson Wentz as a rookie. And then it's really neat. We'll have Eric Mangini or Wade Phillips saying, well, if I was defending a rookie quarterback, here's how I would do it. We had Jim Mora talk about, you know, he defended Peyton Manning as a rookie. You know, and so it takes people right. sort of like behind the scenes to like how decisions are made or how game plans are formulated.
0: I think what I'm most interested, Mike, about this whole concept is, I, from what I can tell from things that we've spoken about and what you're talking about here – is it's a very innovative approach to um, accomplishing three or four things at once. It's, it's in a lot of ways like the South by Southwest or like a tech incubator, right? Y Combinator kind of, of, of NFL minds where everyone is grooming, developing, and learning within the incubator itself, but then it pushes people out into real world opportunities and, and creates networks and communities. And leads to to these amazing opportunities for your young interns or guys like Dan Quinn, Trey and I. Trey, you've spoken um, highly of of what you've seen from Dan and the Cowboys this this year so far. Yeah, and, you know, you talked about how last year, you know, Mike Trey was saying that the Cowboy, you know, we didn't think the Cowboys could stop anybody because they didn't stop anybody last year. And here comes Dan Quinn, and that defense is is very turned around. I just think I think what you guys are doing is fascinating. I think it's a super innovative approach to football content, um, football coaching and mind melding. Um, just, I think it's, I think it's awesome. Uh, I can't you know, throw enough praise your way. Trey mentioned, follow them on Twitter at the 33rd team. Um, there's a newsletter, uh, check that out. Make sure you're following Mike cause Mike's always posting things that are going on. Um, but Mike, thank you so much for spending time with us today, uh, to, to talk about all these things, super valuable, super fascinating. I know I'm certainly lucky to, to have had it. Yeah,
1: I appreciate it. Always good to see you, Brett. And my man, Trey, always good to be back with you. And uh, it's like, you know, falling off of a bike and getting right back on. It's You make me laugh. You
2: make me better. It's always uh, always enjoyable. You're the best, brother. I'll, I'll send you the invite. Just don't share it with Brett. <laughs> and there it is. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys.
0: All right. See you, Thanks, buddy. I appreciate you.